You're listening to the Maximum Advisor Podcast, a show that empowers financial advisors to set goals, take action, and grow their practice. Your host, Chip Munn, is an award-winning advisor and CEO whose advice is regularly featured in Business Insider, Thrive Global, and The Streets Retirement Daily. Listen in as he sits down with industry experts to talk about building a practice and making an impact. Welcome back to Maximum Advisor. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I'm joined by Andrea Schlapia. She is the founder and CEO of Ironstone. Andrea, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to our collaboration, Chip. Me too. Now, Andrea, I've had an opportunity to hear you speak at several conferences, incredibly engaging on lots of different topics, but I'm interested. Tell us a little bit about how you got here. Well, it's an entertaining story to say the least, but been in the financial industry specifically for a little over 25 years. That's frightening to say that number as it gets higher and higher each year. But I had the opportunity as a young advisor in the banking channel to start training new advisors that came in the door. My mentor gave me that opportunity and I fell in love with that. My whole family is from a a teaching family from school psychologist, special education to higher education. So I think I just mixed financial industry and education together. And I am passionate about helping advisory professionals to really open up their mind to how they run their business. So from the opportunity again of starting out as an advisor to then a teacher, educator, speaker. Uh, I worked at three different mutual fund firms in that transition. So I got to work at Dreyfus and Prudential and DWS Investments, which is Deutsche Bank. And you know, when the wholesaler walks in the door, pre-COVID walks in the door. (laughs) I remember what that was like. Yeah. And they would bring a value add person with them. That was my job at those different mutual fund firms. So I got to do a lot of lunch and learns, breakfast, lunch and dinners, training, so that you'd come and do business with those firms. With that said, in a down market, those are the first jobs to go. So I got to experience 2002 and 2008 and was laid off. Guess what? By the same guy. Work for the same guy. It's a very small industry, Chip. You know that. (laughs) So I got laid off in 2002 and I can remember the exact date because it happened to be my wedding anniversary a year early. So November 8th, 2002, getting married November 8th, 2003. That was a fun call to my soon-to-be spouse. And then in December of 2008, same exact thing. It was Groundhog's Day all over again. Same boss, same conversation, same phone call, entertainment. That was the catalyst for Ironstone. So guess what? Ironstone is 12 years old, just this month, December 8th, a couple of days ago. And I am very pleased to say we have a privilege to work with independent advisory firms or those looking to go independent that want to really run their practice like a business. So we really help advisory professionals shift to a CEO mindset and give them a great blueprint to follow as far as what we call and what I designed known as the fundamental four. And Chip, this is, I know you've heard this and I've said this spiel many, many a times education-wise at conferences that you and I have both been at. So that's the piece I'm excited to share with you today is that fundamental four and how to use that, especially now coming into a new season of 2021 and where your advisors can really laser in on what the goals and objectives are, not just business 
numbers because that's a lag measures. If we're going to go four disciplines of execution language, those are lag measures. So we want to do lead measures. What's all the activity that you're going to put into your business, into your practice for 2021 so that you're a successful running well-oiled machine team and just serving your clients at the ultimate best. I couldn't have said it better myself. I think that you know, having heard uh, your fundamental four, one of the things that uh, as I talk to advisors that I hear people kind of dealing with or struggling with even now is the idea of really kind of two of your four, which is the strategic planning. And for our listeners, Andrea has a great visual that we'll share in the show notes. So make sure that you go and check that out. But one of the things that I see, Andrea, people struggling with right now is the vision and the planning and, and not just the business part, but you talked about that CEO mindset of looking forward. And then the other part is kind of building out the necessary kind of structure for that. So talk a little bit about your philosophy or your thoughts on strategic planning and how folks ought to be looking at kind of the longer term structure of going from an advisor to a practice to a business. Absolutely. Well, and that's the fun part uh, and, and the devil's in all of the details. So that's why I created the fundamental four and, and how that really came to fruition was, you know, back to those mutual fund days and the value of that experience while the layoff was painful. Guess what? I got to walk into every custodian, every broker dealer, bank channel, wirehouse channel, independent channel, insurance, and everything in between. And guess what? It was the same exact challenges in every single place. So that's what the fundamental four is created of, or what are the biggest pain points or the areas that you really want to look at your practice? So fundamental four is inclusive of strategic planning, business development, operational effectiveness, and the human element. And then we have eight subcategories underneath each of those. So we really look at a business practice in 32 different line items, if you will. So 32 different slices of this, how we can really manage, monitor, measure the success of a practice. So to your question of, you know, what's strategic planning look like? Here's my challenge to your listeners right now. I mean, we're at the end of the year and what a heck of a year it's been. What worked this year? I've heard more from advisors that this has been some of their best years ever. Now, how is that possible in the kind of year that we've had? So I would challenge all your listeners to take a look at what the current condition of the practice is and really, really what worked in 2020, whether it's in the business development lane, in the operations lane, in the human element lane, or strategic planning, meaning the really big picture, like what did you achieve in your business plan? You know, what does your investment model look like? What adjustments do you want to make to that? Are you considering moving to the RIA business model? versus, you know, you're in a wire or you're in transitioning. You know, as well as I do, how much movement there is right now in our industry and what opportunity that is for regardless of where you're choosing to move. There's just a huge opportunity to take a look at this entire blueprint and say what's working and go current condition. And then we can project forward and say, all right, for 2021, what does success look like December 31st of 2021? Success doesn't just mean your net new assets, your AUM, and your revenue. 
It's what do you want to build? So think about it in this fundamental four is your blueprint or your scaffolding around your practice. All right. And then be able to say, what are the elements that we really need to focus on and what initiatives do we want to implement? Implementation is the hardest part about all of this stuff. And we have a goal tracker. So I can send you tons of different things, which I am. I want your listeners to have all of these resources. Again, this is prime time to plan out what you want for 2021. But when I say plan out and business plan, that I think is one of the biggest challenges for people to really understand or even just absorb what a business plan can or can't be. So if we're talking about just what the next 12 months is in 2021, that's a business plan. But a laundry list of here are all the things I want to do isn't necessarily the best way to think about it. So we like to help you break it down into 90-day chunks. So Q1, 2, 3, 4. What is the theme? What is the focus for each of those four quarters, both monetarily value that, you know, what's the growth rate, the asset, the revenue, the net new asset, all of all of that is a piece of it. But also from a practice management standpoint, what are you going to actually implement in those four blocks of time? 90 days allows you to, and I'm going to say the words development day right now. Development day is in our definition and what we help advisor teams do. This is when you're shutting the doors to your clients so that you can focus internally for professional development. So the teams that we will get to work with and help support and the ones that are at the highest level of success are willing to close the doors once a month. So that's 12 times out of the year. And I would challenge any advisor team that says, wow, I can't find that time. Out of 365 days, you really telling me that your clients can't live without you for 12 days out of 365? And this isn't to say you're not checking voicemail or emails or you know on the breaks, but this is truly doors are locked to clients, you know, phones on voicemail, out of office emails on, and you're focusing internally because this is your think tank, this is your strategy, this is your war room. And now this is when the fundamental four can really come to life because you're coming together as a whole entire team and collaborating. So they're back to the business plan. What are the initiatives that you want to focus on in each of those 90 days? And if you're literally doing the development day once a month, guess what? You have three development days in every 90-day block that you know you and your team are coming together to stop the outside client work focus. And now it's the inside internal practice management team development focus. So let's just say for an example, you wanted to work on client segmentation and service metrics. The client segmentation, who are the ABCDs? What's the definition of that? And then the service metrics being, what does the ABCD get? I think this is a critical time to have that as one of the pieces that you focus on for many industry regulations. But if you said, okay, in development day number one, we're just looking at what the current condition of segmentation and service metrics is. What are we actually doing right now? Well, okay, the A's are a million up, the B's are down to 750, the C's are, you know, 500, and anybody below 500 is a D. If I threw all the quick numbers, but it's not just the numbers. It should be the attributes and are they a center of influence? Is this a kid? Is this, have you ever heard the term Henry? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. High earners, not rich yet. Those are your Henry's. And so those might be a child of an A type client. So it's a lot more than just the numbers. Um, And then again, service metrics, what does the ABC get? 
So too often I hear folks say, well, everybody gets everything. And I say, well, that's a bless your heart moment <laughs> right there because it's not sustainable. And you know, if we take a look at Reg BI and everything else that we've got on our plate now from a regulatory standpoint, it's going to be in your benefit to really run your practice like a business and documentation of what does the ABC get. And we have a whole methodology of how to build it. But that being, again, back to your development day, development day one is current condition. Development day two is what do we want to change, alter, and upgrade. And development day number three is now, okay, we've tested it for the last 30 days. What do we need to tweak a little bit and that we're willing to work with us and refine it? But we've really spent 90 days on this particular topic. That's why we like to break things down into those 90-day blocks. This is where I'm going to go. And I know, Chip, I'm showing you visually what our goal tracker looks like, and we're going to send this to you, but this is a nice fillable document and you can portion of it, write down what those actual initiatives are. Another portion of it is putting in your numbers of what you want for net new asset or revenue or AUM. And guess what? The four 90-day chunks don't have to be the literal four quarters if you're going fiscal year. So they don't have to be really Q1, 2, 3, 4. So we have it written as 90-day milestone focus and a date of what that is. Because it might be March, April, and May versus literal Q1. So taking a step back, I love the idea of development days. One of the things that I've had people ask me recently, though, is having the right people in the room for a development mm -hmm. day. So when you look at building teams. So let's just talk about if I'm a solo advisor or if it's me and one kind of team member, maybe I'm sharing them, maybe they are focused on me. When you're talking to folks about beginning the process of building out, so we're talking about the fundamental forest scaffolding for the business, but one of those is the human element. I'm curious if you were a solo advisor or in a small team, what's the first hire you'd make? That's a great question. And every element underneath the human element has to do with getting the right people on the bus to your exact point. It's a hard question to answer of what the first hire is because it depends upon what you want to build. So the recipe for getting the right people on the bus is very similar in that the really first step is designing the job profile of what you want. So if I'm the advisor and I'm shifting my own mindset to CEO mindset, and I'm now getting my first hire, or maybe it's really the second hire. Because if you're a solo, you more than likely have maybe a client service person out there. The minute you add a third person on the bus is when it can be confusing for everybody of who's doing what. Because let's just pair you and I up, Chip. So you're the advisor, I'm the client service person. You know what you do, I know what I do. And we just do everything between the two of us. The minute that third person comes in is when it gets confusing. So my recommendation, again, is really looking when I say a job profile and job description, I've got a lot of layers to that. So job description, you think a high level overview, it might be what's on the posting, they might read about a job, but that's, I'm going to say fluff in this moment, because it really doesn't tell me what the day in the life of the human is. That's a 30,000 foot overview. Then you go a little bit deeper into the weeds or a lot deeper into the weeds. A 3,000 foot view is called what I'm going to call a task list. 
a task list, if you can visualize this with me, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly, and as needed, what does that role do? So back to you and I, advisor and client service person, let's get the current condition down. What is really on your plate and on your task list? And what is on my task list? And I know the easy answer is like, well, you do everything I don't, because that's exactly what I hear coming from my advisor teams. Well, guess what? The more stuff that's in somebody's head, the less you're running like a business. Because if the person that's all with that information in their head doesn't come back tomorrow, I have nothing. So getting down a task list on paper to say daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly, as needed, what is the current condition of my day in the life? And then you can take a look at that and say, all right, and if we're in our development day moment, right? You say, well, I can get rid of this, 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 and this out there. Then we can delete, move, and add. Those are the three things as you go through every single task list. Delete, move, and add. And when I say delete, I mean like you're stopping doing it forever. It's not moving to somebody else. It's literally, we're stopping that. And now what are the tasks that I want to move off of my task list? It might not go to your client service person, but that's when you want to put it on a parking lot. Parking lots, you know, if you've got your nice fancy screen up, it's drag and drop it to a Word or Excel document um, so that you're really doing it in the moment versus a flip chart or whiteboard. You're really doing that in the document itself. So your parking lot's just a holding spot to say, I'm not sure where it goes, but I know it can't be on my advisor task list anymore. And the same thing, once you're done with yours, client service, let's go through the same thing. Delete, move, add, delete, move, add. What are we moving off? I'm not sure if it goes to advisor or maybe somebody else. And then the ad is allowing you guys to upgrade what you actually are doing. Think about that as the ad portion. It's like stuff that, you know, we've been solo. We haven't had time to do this social media marketing or video education to our clients. We haven't had the bandwidth. So that could be the potential ad. And then ultimately you're looking at the parking lot because that's the placeholder more than likely the next human that you're hiring because it now has all the tasks that you moved off of yours and that the client service moved off of theirs and you've refined it and said, okay, well, we can stop doing all of these other things that are on the parking lot. And you have now a list of daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly as needed because you did that task list and there's your answer, who to hire. So I think that to kind of synthesize some of that, it's really like a sports team where you're trying to add the next position and you really, the key is they really have to fit with everybody else. I mean, the truth is the bigger teams get, the more relationships become a part of that. You know, one of the things I saw somewhere, and I think I saw it in my wife and I have four kids, so I think I saw it in family dynamics, but every time you add another person to a group, it's an exponential change in the number of relationships. And I think that what I heard you say was by taking inventory of the people that you already have, right, then mm-hmm. you can really create a situation where they're able to flourish even more in the things that they're exceptional at. Uh, Dan Sullivan, strategic coach, calls it unique ability. Mm -hmm. They can flourish at that because they can do more of it, but you've gone out and recruited somebody to that task list who that's exactly what they love to do. So you can really find 
by taking some time doing these development days, you can really dig into what it is that the ideal person would be willing to do rather than looking at, I think, Andrea, the firm level job descriptions and the stuff that they give us that you can just print out on the internet. Not only are they hard to find people who like and do all those things, but oftentimes a lot of the stuff that any of these positions do isn't on the list that uh, that somebody gives you. You are exactly spot on. I mean, I'll give you a horror story, a quick one. When I remember I told you I worked at those mutual fund firms, when I went to Prudential, I went through an extensive interview process. This happened to be in Shelton, Connecticut. I lived in Atlanta and I, I still do, but I lived in Atlanta in that moment in my life. The first week I was there physically was in Shelton and my brand new boss said, you know, let me take you around. I'll introduce you to everybody. And she said, this is Andrea. She's going to be here every week now in this role. I kid you not, my mouth dropped open. And I was like, when, when did that ever come up in the interview process that I was literally going to be in Shelton, Connecticut every single week, which I did. And the moment I started having burger and fries and watching 40 year old virgin on the end of my bed with the room service lady, I knew it was time to get a new job. So one of the other things I've heard you talk about is culture. One of the ways that you build culture is being mindful who and how you add to the team. I, I have to think that while you were hanging out with the room service lady, you weren't <laughs> exactly thinking about wonderful things about your employer. And so I think that sometimes culture starts with who it is that you're adding and bringing them into the right situation. What are your thoughts on how, as we grow, we build the kind of culture that, what goes into thinking about that ahead of time? Because I think for some folks, as teams are smaller, it's kind of hard to imagine. Like you said, it's just the two of us and what I don't do, you do. And you know, as long as we get along, there's good enough culture. How do you intentionally look at building that out as you're adding additional team members? Excellent question. And this is why I started with inundating you with the development day concept, because culture is all about communication and really having quality collaboration with your team. And too often as a solo advisor, again, we can go our separate ways. You do your job. I do my job. We go home, come back, do it all over again. The minute you add the third person in, it's to your point of family, it's adding another relationship. So the development day brings you together as those humans so you can collaborate and talk and not just walk down the hall past the person or now just be on a Zoom call with the person now that we're in the world that we live in and never really take a breath to come together. So culture is, yes, how it feels when you walk in the door and it is about critical communication. So we really have three key elements from a communication standpoint, a daily huddle. The daily huddle is we are standing up in a Zoom call like, and, if, and a huddle is like 15 minutes or less. So if you're physically in your office, this is literally standing up. It is not sitting down in the conference room with your coffee mug and getting to ready to have that kind of environment. It's quick. It's Chuck, what do you need from me today? Guess what? So-and-so had a baby yesterday. So-and-so died. I ran over a dog on the way here. Like it's firefighting. It's okay. Somebody's out this week. Somebody's sick. It is what's happening right now in the next eight to 12 hours that we're here at this location, I need to be mindful of. Chip, I need you to sign X. So it's literally having the paper ready to go 
and you need to talk about Susie Q client. Well, it's not taking the time in that moment of the huddle to talk about Susie Q. It's Chip, I need 15 minutes. I need 30 minutes to talk about Susie Q client. When can we do that? Let's do it right after the huddle. Okay, great. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? So it's the quick go around. And then you add layer on that. It's the weekly team focus meeting. This is where it's more structured as far as the agenda. So this is a status update meeting, like where are we at on our numbers? What's the compliance update? What's the marketing update? What's our client event? What's going on with Zoom? Here's technology, here's cybersecurity. It's all of, again, have examples of team meeting agendas. And then your third layer, of course, back to your development day. So this allows you to have a communication stop with your team every single day, 15 minutes or less. It allows you to have a communication stop with your team that's 60 minutes or less that's going over much more specific and status update. And then it gives you a communication stop with your team once a month. Again, the ideal is once a month, always speaking best practice for a full day where you're shutting the doors, phones on voicemail. I have a lot of teams that are, you know, doing a half a day now because it's via Zoom or they're breaking up into smaller subgroups to get through content versus having the conference room feel with flip chart and whiteboard and all that kind of stuff. You can recreate that via Zoom. So in my practice, full transparency, we don't do the daily huddle. We do the weekly. We don't do the daily. But we did the first 10 weeks of being home for COVID. So because Mm -hmm. everybody was Zoom and you you just wanted connection, that it was very helpful for us. I found that... Again, I think sometimes, and you recommend it, so it obviously works, but for us, getting everybody into a physical room seemed, because we have a pretty big team, seemed difficult, but doing it via Zoom, everybody would just, I mean, and so we even still do our weekly team meetings are still by Zoom, you know, because we're distributed in terms of some of our team members, but even the folks who are in the office. That's, I think, a great use of kind of taking the technology we've had to learn and really using it as an implementation tool mm-hmm. in your practice kind of as we're coming back to the workplace for those who are able to be back in the office and, and those kinds of things. Idra, when you look at your development days, are part of those team building? So it's kind of a two-part question. Are part of those team building? And if so, what are some of the better team building activities that you've seen in terms of building togetherness and culture? As crazy as this may sound, that taskless experience, we just did this with a team a couple of weeks ago and they're physically in the same room. And they said, you know, I've been sitting beside this person for five years and I didn't have the clarity of what they were doing until we went through this task list. And now I really get why They are frustrated when I throw an activity at them because now I see what's on their task list. So, you know, there is so much. I mean, if we're talking like fun team building, one of the things we love to do, again, maybe this is more of the nerdy stuff, but we do a lot of Myers-Briggs work. And so Myers-Briggs is personality assessment. It is pretty entertaining. We have fun Shotsky stuff that helps you to keep that alive on your desk. And so this is extroversion versus introversion, sensing, intuition, thinking, feeling, and judging, perceiving. So it's your communication preferences. This is a really great activity because then you can really take a look at what are the differences among your team members? 
what do you individually need to hear something, to do something, to do it really well? And ultimately, you can transition that to your personal life, to your client life, and you can start recognizing different behaviors and activities in looking at what that information provides to you. So that's some really fun stuff that's all doable by Zoom. We work with a lot of different strategic partners, and I just spoke to our etiquette strategic partner. She is truly like a, you know, I, I, she's not Miss Manners, but if you're old school, anybody on this, you know who Miss Manners is, and she's doing etiquette dining on Zoom. So it's endless. But those are the two, you know, Myers-Briggs, let's work from a communication standpoint, Chip. Let's figure out who does what and how we can communicate better. Just understanding each other's role, responsibility. And I think from the aspect, the more you guys start utilizing the development day, the more it's ultimately providing team building in a very stealth way because it takes about 90 days for everybody to get comfortable with like, wow, we're really closing the doors once a month and coming together. And like, we're not just like staring at each other (laughs) for a whole entire day. We're actually going through and looking at the practice. So this just ties back into how do you make culture? It's about communicating with the other human. So now you've looked at the fundamental four and Here's where you can upgrade each individual and say, you know what? I want to go explore how to do whatever technology better. So I'm going to be the subject matter expert in technology and somebody else is going to be subject matter expert in social media and keep going down the line of all of the fundamental four elements. So you mentioned earlier strategic partners and that you have strategic partners. When you look at culture and teaming, let's say, Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on should your culture extend to strategic partners, centers of influence, maybe we would call them in in our world. And as a follow-up, kind of an aside to that, how do you determine when you're looking at your team, whether you should do a strategic partnership or work with a center of influence or whether or not you should bring that kind of service or opportunity in-house? Right. And so if I put it into a CPA or an estate planner, like that's what, if I'm translating what you're saying to me, like that in the advisor world, you know, there's where you determine and say, you know what, we've built out an amazing team and figured out all these task lists. Do we want to bring that kind of service in-house? Is it going to be more valuable than turning around and saying, you know, we're going to recommend these three estate planners to work with? One thing that we have found with strategic partners, it's the extension of your culture. So how you treat your clients, how you treat each other as a team, what does your strategic partner do when it comes to working with their clients and how they work with their team? If it's really not in line with what yours is, then your clients may get a different experience than what you have been providing to them. So that's a really important piece for us to say, you know, is this strategic partner really an ironstone feel when we decide who we're going to work with? And because we have a specific culture that we want to provide you. So it just extends out to all the strategic partners. And then from a manpower aspect, there's the beauty of that task list. Because again, when you're saying daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly, as needed, Let's think about the frequency of a task. If that becomes a really high frequency, is it worth bringing a service provider in-house 
because that would just be an additional extension that you could be providing internally as a service. So if you said, you know what, man, we're doing estate plans like all the time, like every day. We do it for almost all of our clients. Is it worth for us to bring in an actual estate planner as one of our tools in the toolkit via an actual human? Maybe it is versus working with an external resource. But that's, again, a great collaboration during development day with the whole entire team to be a part of that. Again, as you were talking about that parking lot, I I think at, at some point, that's a place where you look and you say, how are the, yeah, I'm a big Dan Sullivan fan, who not how, Mm -hmm. who could I partner with until it becomes, because what I have found is in my practice, usually trying to find an outside resource or a shared service or partnering with a different team. Let's say if you're in an, in a, an office with multiple teams, finding a shared service for a while can make a lot of sense in that you can get what you need, but without having to, I'm a big believer in hiring before the need and understanding that and making sure you have capacity. But I think that if you can look at by building that parking lot, that task list with your team that you're talking about, that's a great way to go in and really ask that who not how question of who could do these things. Chances are, my experience, Andrea, I don't know where you come down on this. If you can find, again, whether it's a shared services platform or a handful of outsourced individuals, which are much more possible in the independent space than people may think. Yes. If you can find those either in a collection or as one-off kind of outsourced vendors, you can end up getting a lot more done sooner than you thought than you could ever have gotten done waiting to try to find that one master, I'll call him a parking lot attendant who can handle all of that stuff, right? So I, I think that that's the, again, going back to your premise of getting together and putting these things in a place where I think you called it delete. You didn't delete them, but they're not a right now for the people that you have. I think that that gives you an opportunity to really, I'm a visual person too, and to look at those things And for me, if I were looking at all those things on a sheet of paper or on a whiteboard or whatever, a Google Doc, I can start to see the threads that connect them so that I can say, you know what, if I took this, this, and this, that's something that this particular strategic partner or outsource provider could help with. So I I think that makes an awful lot of sense. Andrea, as we begin to wind down, this is an action-oriented podcast. And Mm -hmm. one of the things we like to do is ask and share something that the audience can do now mm-hmm. to get started. So if they have bought into the concept and have listened to this and, and it resonated, what's one thing that a listener could do? If I'm an advisor, what's one thing I can do today to get started getting better? One thing, it's so hard, Chip. Current condition, what's the reality right now for you in your role. So my challenge to you is literally get your task list on paper. And you and I are on a Zoom, so you and I can see each other right now. And I've pulled up an example of a task list so you can literally see it on screen. And I'm happy to share this. All of Ironstone's concept of how we work with advisor offices is that We won't start you from a blank piece of paper and just talk to you about a bunch of theory because that's the hard part when it comes to implementation. 
So I'll give you this task list to take a look at. And it's literally broken down into daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly, and as needed tasks. The minute you, business owner, advisor, can get your tasks down, that's going to allow the rest of your team member to really understand what you are doing versus like, well, I just meet with clients and I bring in the business. Okay. That is Wizard of Oz, man behind the curtain. Okay. We got to pull back the curtain. This is painful. It's simple, but it's not easy because it's literally writing down what you do every single day. And then if you do that and share that with the rest of your team, I was just talking to an advisor today and he said, well, you know, I asked my team to tell me what they can take off of my plate so that they can start doing stuff. And I said, do you know what's on your plate? He's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, you want to, and I want to encourage you to put the stuff on paper. This might sound old school, getting stuff on paper and the visual though, I promise you is going to propel you and your practice and your team to the absolutely the next level because you're memorializing stuff. Because if I said a friend of mine is the general manager at an Outback Steakhouse, guess what? That guy didn't just get to be the general manager of Outback Steakhouse. He had to sit in every single chair. He had to be in the host's chair. He had to be in the dishwasher chair, in the wait staff, in the bartender, in the cook, in the line cook, in the bathroom cleaner. He had to do all of that. So while we're talking about a solo advisor, the minute you start bifurcating the role, the more challenging it gets. But by doing these task lists, you guess what? You are creating your standard operating processes for your business because you want to build the tasks for the firm, not the person, because people will come and go. But if you said, here is the client service, here is the relationship manager, here's the associate planner, here's the planner, here's the owner. And you've not only created standard operating procedure, you've created job profiles, you've created curriculum for interviewing and for onboarding, and you've created a career path all by this one thing. Start with your task list. If that's all you do in the next 30 days, do your task lists. Well, and if you want to take it one step further, let anybody else on your team do theirs. Be professional kind of man or woman enough to ask somebody else what they do all day and let them tell you, because I assure you that they would love to tell you about all the different things that they're doing. And so the takeaway that I had Andrea, from today is just the overwhelming importance of communication inside of a group or a team. And that's been a big help for me. So thank you for being on the show. Absolutely, Chip. It was a pleasure. I love collaborating with you and I'm excited to send you all those resources. So let me know and we can continue the collaboration in the future. I will look forward to it. Now, if that sounds like you, if any of that resonated, I encourage you to check out the show notes. Andrea is going to send us all of the resources that we talked about. You can also check out her website, ironstonehq.com, and go and you can download some of the resources from there as well. I encourage you to join us in the Facebook group. We will look forward to seeing you again real soon. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com slash scorecard now. Join the conversation in our private Maximum Advisor Facebook group. And subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.